0: Happy Sunday, everyone. Last week, we started for inspiration on this book called "The Power of Decision," and it has a I think a very subductive and simple premise. The idea is since our life is made up of so many decisions if we get even just a little bit better at making them, even if we get just a little bit more conscious, even if our choices reflect just a little bit more of what's true and what's good and what's lovely in the world, oh my gosh, transformation. So this week I have an interesting proposition for you. And, uh, and the chapter in the book would tend to have me believe that we can choose something as fundamental as happiness itself. Now, Noah, on the surface, this sounds a little outrageous, doesn't it? The thought that we could choose something as fundamental as happiness? Play along with me. I think we'll get there. And in fact, a good place to start is a joke about ultimate happiness in the form of a chocolate chip cookie. So a very elderly man who'd had a rich and full life lays dying in his bed. But suddenly the pull on the other side was pushed away by something even more compulsive, the smell, the aroma of homemade chocolate chip cookies. So gathering his strength, he lifts himself up from his deathbed, slowly makes his way out of the bedroom, down the stairs, and in labored breath, he gazes wide-eyed into the kitchen. There, spread out on the table, hundreds of his favorite homemade chocolate chip cookies. Was this heaven? Was it one final act of heroic love from his devoted wife, seeing to it that his final moment would be in blissful happiness? He lowered himself to the table, outreached his hand. Stay out of those, said his wife. They're for the memorial. (laughs) All right. So sometimes my humor drifts a little to the dark side. Glad you're all here today. But can happiness be that simple? Can happiness be a chocolate chip cookie? You know, I think happiness has two components. And we're used to one of the two components. And I might call that the satisfaction factor. And that totally is the chocolate chip cookie. Do you know what I mean? There are all kinds of things that tend to promote happiness in our lives. We, we plan trips to Disney World. We, uh, do you know what I mean? We go to sporting events. And we, we support our friends and family at concerts. And all kinds of things in the world. We arrange them knowing that when we participate in that we're likely to be happy now we know there's no guarantee right we've all been on the road trip from hell as well as the road trip to heaven if you know what i mean or at least in my family we did every every summer we went on a road trip in the car and oh my gosh some of those were the best of times some of those were the worst of times right so there's no guarantee of satisfaction but nonetheless those of us that have even a modicum of self-awareness know that we can set things up to make our lives a little better we can plan things we can organize things we we have that awareness of where happiness to a degree at least lies but but and here's the big but can we count on that Raymond Charles Barker would say no. Here's what he says about it, and and I think it's true. He says, unhappy people think they know why they're unhappy. They want to change the events, the situations, the conditions, and the people in their individual worlds. They don't want to change themselves. They want a rearrangement of the facts and dodge the concept that it is a rearrangement on the inside that is important. Happiness is an inside job. And here's where I want to go really today, because uh, I think we already have that, that situational happiness, you know, uh, undercover. We already, we already know the kinds of things that are apt to promote happiness on the outside, the events and the, and, and the people and the situations that are apt to bring us great joy. But can we, as Barker is suggesting, actually just... Choose happiness regardless of what's going on on the outside. I think that we can choose our emotions more than we think we do. And I want to try a a couple ideas uh, on size for you. Has anyone ever worked for a really crummy boss? Do you know what I mean? Uh, A boss that's kind of argumentative and and, kind of is in your face even when you've not really done anything wrong. Uh, A boss that might chew you out in public or a boss that really doesn't know how to treat uh, their employees very well. I had such a boss about five years ago. And I can vividly remember a few times for really, not, uh, in, in fact, for doing my job well, he chewed me out. And it got to be such a almost a talk around the building that, uh, that if the phone rang and you could see him phoning his administrative assistant, right? And then she would like point out to the workers and, and go, Larry, uh, Mr. Phillips wants to see you right? And so you could almost see it because it was one of those open floor plans. And I got to tell you, when she would get the call and she'd point out, people were like, yikes, (laughs) is it going to be me? And I want to tell you, the longest, worst feelings happens long before he even talked to me. It would be that approach to the office, I'm feeling it already. I'm sensing getting chewed out. I'm feeling angry. I'm already building up a case in my head to justify something that I don't even know what it was I did. Do you know what I mean? I was, uh, how do I want to put it? It was like I was putting on a jacket... Of feeling frustrated, a, a jacket of, a, it was like a suit or an armor that I was putting on on purpose as I was going to the office here. Now, did it have anything to do with the discussion yet? It really didn't. In fact, there were quite a few times when we'd have a perfectly pleasant conversation in his office. But because of the few times when I had been chewed out, oh my gosh, I was ready. You know, I was <laughs> I was like in the defensive pose, and my my uh, my my legs were tightened up, and my heart was tight. I was feeling something way before there was any cause to feel it. I think more often than not we do this. You know how they say that people have. Uh, um, habitual thoughts running around in their head. Sometimes people talk about it like a squirrel cage of, of thinking a negative thought or, or thinking a certain way and it just runs away in, in, in your head and it's hard to stop. I think we do that with emotions as well. I think that when we see a situation approaching, we sift through our thoughts of what we have felt in similar situations and we actually anticipate it. For instance, what is the drive like to the dentist office? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like we don't know if we have a cavity yet. <laughs> it could just be the teeth cleaning, right? And yet, the trip to the dentist office, aren't we ready? We're we're ready for the worst. Why is it that you think that we do this? Now, part of it is just a habit, I think. Part of it is, in certain situations, you know, for for my mom, it was talking to a certain relative. She'd been estranged from one of her cousins for a long time. And for some reason, the cousin didn't really get it. And so he'd phone her, thinking he was going to have a nice conversation, but she was ready. You know, she was ready to plunge in and be all up in his face. And, uh, and so the phone would ring and he used to call like at the same time on Sunday afternoons, right? An hour ahead of time. She was thinking of nasty things to say to him, the poor guy. Why is it that we do that? Is it just habit Well, I think part of it is left over from some protection mechanism because, of course, our feelings actually are quite healthy, right? A feeling of fear is useful when there's something really to be afraid of. It'll motivate us. A feeling of love, how wonderfully useful that is to keep families together and to to have romance blossom, right? Feelings are incredibly useful. But are the feelings that we just kind of put on like a jacket, are they useful? I don't think so. I think when we're just choosing a feeling to go even ahead of time with a situation, we're just creating a story. We're just imagining what might happen, and we're getting all worked up for it. I don't think those are too useful. I want to suggest that we can have more literal choice over what we are feeling, in the same way that on some level I'm choosing to get worked up over going to the dentist long before I get there, in the same way that that walk to my old boss's office felt like the longest walk of of pain and trouble, I can choose differently. Why wouldn't I wait until I really see what's going to happen? and then respond emotionally in appropriate ways. What I do know is that if we go through life anticipating trouble, what are we going to get? We're going to get trouble. If we go through life putting on, if you will, these emotions of of negativity, what are we going to get? Right. Right. I remember for a while I was doing customer service for the telephone company and my my trainer was uh, one of those people that is always happy. Do you have someone in your life that no matter what is going on, they're happy? She was one of those people and she used to get the most scary and amazing and frightening telephone calls and and when she was training me to be doing customer support she would be like on the other headset you know well well and then she would give me like coaching afterwards which was really useful when people would call in and just yell you know just just be rude to you or whatever and she could be cheerful through that and I said well why are you doing this and she said well she said my first couple years doing customer service, I kind of received what was coming at me. So so if a customer was angry to me, I stood in my righteousness and was kind of angry right back to them. If they called and were pleasant, then I was kind of pleasant with them. But she said, what I noticed was by the end of the day, I was exhausted. It was like an emotional roller coaster. She said, "And especially on customer service, people don't generally call in just to say, "Have a nice day." You know, usually something's gone on in their life that they need help with or, or that's gone wrong. And she said, "What I decided was is I wasn't going to make it about the problem anymore." That my job was really to have a good experience with whoever called in, and that the business part of it, the reinstating the phone service or the, the helping with the billing problem or whatever that, that was really the secondary part of it. I would certainly do that, but my real job was to have a pleasant interchange with another human being. Is that amazing? And so sometimes people would call in just in a total, eee. you know, you cut off my phone service and, you know, you know, life is hell right now. And she would just say, I'm really sorry to hear that. That must be scary. Is there something I can do to help? And, it, and you know, it would be like, oh, my gosh, someone actually is listening to me. Someone cares here. When we change our emotional output, the world will respond. When we have a a disposition of happiness or caring, people will match that. People will tend to match you where you are, in both your intellectual level, in your emotional level, your uh, even-keelness, your ability to be composed, whatever it is, people will tend to match you there. And in particular, when it's a positive emotion, it will tend to to flip them a bit. They will realize, no, this person actually does care about me. This person is important in my life. So can we simply put on a new emotion? I think to a degree we can. Also, I think to a degree we can't, and I want to talk about that as well for just a moment. There are feelings to be felt. When we're feeling grief, we should feel the grief. There are appropriate times to feel anger or sadness. There are absolutely appropriate times just to feel outrageously in love. But is it on purpose? Is it, in a sense, a true reflection of what's going on? Or is it you just slipping into that old suit of anger or upset that just happens to go with the situation. Because if it's that last one, I don't think it's that useful. I don't think you're really going to get any benefit out of it. The benefit of feeling sad is to go through a grieving process, and it's useful. The benefit of being angry is that you do something to change your situation and make your life better. There are benefits of real emotions that have real purposes, and they're there to be acted upon in a useful way if we're simply being sad because we think it would be a good idea or or we don't even think about it at all. We're just in a situation that typically I'm mad in, so I'm going to be mad now when I'm out on the freeway, right? There's traffic. It'll probably be horrible. I'll just go at it angry to begin with, right? When we do that, we're just setting ourselves up for a negative experience. So I want to tell you a story. Uh, a year ago, I was counseling someone in a position of experiencing chronic pain. And she was actually working with a clinic that specializes in pain management. And so I, I knew she was doing on that. And when she scheduled the appointment, I thought, oh, well, this will probably be a, a, a practitioner session, some counseling on, on dealing with pain. And you know what? It wasn't it at all. She said, what I really want to talk about is as I'm feeling the joy draining out of my life this constant, chronic pain, that I think that we'll figure out. I think that with the right medication and some acupuncture and some other things, I think we will have the pain part of it licked. But what I'm noticing is, it has brought down my overall ability just to experience joy and love and peace in the world. It seems like all of the good stuff has washed away. And it took a few sessions. Do you, and do you know what we ended up doing? You might think of it as just bald faced trickery, but it actually worked. I had her tell me some of the situations that before she'd experienced her injury and the beginning of the pain, things that she really enjoyed to do. And uh, and my example to her was, is there a time in in, in your normal course of events when the time just goes like that, when you don't even notice that you're having such a good time and and suddenly you're going, oh my God, it's 10 o'clock and I have to be up early tomorrow. Tell me a time like that. And so she said, well, I used to go bowling all the time, and it was so fun. We'd have a couple of bottles of beer. Uh, you know, we'd bowl. It was, cra- it was a crazy girl nights out, and, and we just had such fun. And she said, you know, that, it's like a two-and-a-half-hour thing, and it would be over just like that. And I said, then we're going bowling. And she said, well, I can't go bowling. And I said, you can go bowling. You may not be able to bowl. So we found her old league, we found some of the people that were still there. She said the process of getting there was painful, but once she was seated, she said the three hours were literally pain-free. We tricked her, if you will into experiencing joy again we tricked her body into fading into the background while the joy of being with friends while the joy of having uh you know having a beer and and being with the girls while that did its magic on her for that period of time she was blessed we can do that too we can absolutely do that too And in fact, we can even do it in a much simpler fashion. Are are you ready for just a spot of spiritual practice today? Okay, what what we're going to do in Science of Mind, they call it building a mental equivalent. And what we're going to do is we're going to build a mental equivalent of happiness. So for just a moment, close your eyes if you're willing. And what I'd like you to do is just imagine a time when you were outrageously happy. It might have been a birthday party or a, an award ceremony that you were at. It might have been at, at your marriage. Or it might have been a time when just everything about your life was so very sweet. Uh, maybe in a, in a first love relationship. Picture in your life a moment in time when you were outrageously content and happy. And if you could, just think about who's there with you, the, the kind of setup to it. Where are you? What's going on? Notice what's bringing the smile to your face or the, the sweetness to your heart. And even more important than the, the who and the what, notice what the, exactly the feeling is like. Is it happiness and contentment? Is it giggly happiness? Is it sweet, romantic happiness? Notice right now what that exquisite feeling is like and savor it. This is happiness. And what I know about our minds is we can come back to this spot in time anytime we like. You can open your eyes now. This is building a mental equivalent. It's it's one of those tricks I was talking about. What are we doing? We're tricking our mind to bring up that sense of peace, that sense of love, that sense of happiness. And when we want to use this trick, anytime we're feeling the opposite. If you're a little bit worried about something that's coming up or or you're dreading a, a phone call or something like that, I simply invite you, just close your eyes, even for 30 seconds, and picture yourself blissfully happy. Now, is it going to last? Who knows? But what I do know is you're setting yourself up for a positive experience to come next. You're inviting into your experience more light and more love rather than the darkness that you might have gone towards. So instead of putting on that jacket of, of fear or anger or whatever, instead, you're resting love and peace and joy gently on your shoulders, ready to accept more of it. Well, I'm going to close today with a quote Uh, and a tiny bit of homework. First, the tiny bit of homework. I would like you, this week, just to observe your emotional state, okay? And what I mean by that is, notice during the week, what kind of emotions are going on in your mind and in your body? And really sense them and really be aware of them and ask yourself the question, is this a legitimate emotion? And by that I mean, am I having an emotional reaction to something that's really happening right now? So if someone died, well, of course, you should feel sad. Uh, you know, you have grief to work through. If someone is right in your face shaking their fist, yeah, of course you're going to feel a little fear or, or a little apprehension. Absolutely natural. But what I want you to watch for are the times when you're just putting on your emotion like a tired old jacket again. There's no real purpose for it. And if you're willing, let us use that mental equivalent of happiness Instead, Let's just give it a try. So we're, we're getting up to making that phone call that we're dreading instead of having that feeling of dread for no reason yet, mind you, because you haven't had the phone call. Let us instead bring up that mental equivalent of happiness as we go into the phone call. If we're anticipating a trouble at the dentist's office or whatever it is, instead of bringing up that feeling of fear or panic or whatever it is, let us rest Lightly in that place of happiness. So Raymond Charles Barker makes it so very easy to close out uh, our our Sundays here because he has the treatments written right in the book. And so here's our closing treatment uh, around happiness. He says, there is one mind, one God, one infinite good. And this good includes all that I am. Therefore, it includes every idea, for my own happiness and creativity. These divine ideas are right now functioning in my subconscious, revealing themselves to me. I'm open and receptive to love, life, and happiness. I'm a spiritual being, an individualization of life itself. My subconscious mind now accepts these statements of happiness and acts upon them. I know that I may rejoice in happiness. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for joining us this Sunday.